1: The title of the book, Lost in the Amazon, and the author is Luann Beyer, and Luann joins us on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Luann. Hello. Great Hello to have to you with all us. Hello to of the
2: listeners out there.
1: Well, a lot of the listeners, my goodness, I think everyone with third to seventh graders and adults included are going to love this story. It has a little bit of everything because we're talking about uh, young boys with their father uh, crash in the Amazon uh, rainforest and end up being kidnapped. And uh, There's all kinds of, obviously, uh, intrigue and drama and adventure in it. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Luann. How did this all come about?
2: I have told stories to my grandchildren for many years, and my family keeps telling me that I should write them down, but I couldn't kind of find the motivation to do it. So I was at my son and daughter-in-law's, and they said, you know, Grandma, you've got to write these stories down for us. So one day, I just sat at their kitchen table and took out a notebook, and Well, my grandson, um, you got to color because Grandma's going to write. So I started, I wrote the first two pages. And then when the two older came home from school, I said, Well, I started writing the first book today, but I ran into something that I don't know what to do with. So my granddaughter just flat out told me, "Well, you have to do this and that. That was with our first book. And it just, I was excited about it then. My husband got excited, Um, he's been a science teacher for 25 years, and he was able to help me with some of the more technical views that I needed to bring out. So that's really how I got started, and they're right with me, they help me with ideas, they're even doing some of the illustrations in the book. How wonderful is that?
1: That is, that is a family project, and everyone loves the story. Well, let's back up here and start with some of the... Uh, just give us a little idea about the characters in in the book. Uh, let's start with the father. Now, what's his name?
2: His name is Brad. Uh, he's an engineer who builds homes. And due to the uh, housing that was you know, our country was going through, there really wasn't much business. So he contracted with a national firm... To go to Ecuador, Peru, to find a way for their logging industry to work with getting their their um, wood, their lumber, to the United States. So he contracted with a uh, South American native pilot with a single-engine plane to take him there, and invited his two sons, Peter and Andy, along.
1: Well, I'm sure they were excited, and uh, as you say, uh, Manny the pilot. Tell everyone who Manny the pilot is.
2: (laughs) Well, Manny is um, the most interesting character, and um, he has flown all over the country. He has this single-engine airplane that's a Stinson. It's kind of an old kind of a plane, but it's real reliable. When they take off, it shakes and rattles, and those poor little boys in the back were, uh, like, scared because they didn't know if this was going to make it. And he turned around and said to them, I named my plane the Domatilia, and in Spanish that means Cinderella. And he said, she's um, she's just re- very reliable, and she'll get us there and back. So that's um, how we got up into the air, and then the, this is the b- two boys' first White ever. So you can imagine their intrigue when they looked down and saw all of the patchwork in the rivers and the countryside. and it, uh, was, it, it was an awesome sight for them.
1: So why choose the country of Peru?
2: Well, uh, when I started with finding a place to go to, uh, first of all, um, I'm interested in the environment, especially in the fact that Trees have on our climate. I grew up in a part of the country where there weren't any trees, and when we moved to northern Minnesota, it was just like a bonanza, a wonder, with all the trees and the lakes here. So, this was an opportunity to to showcase what deforestation is doing to the environment, is kind of why I chose the rainforest. And then, um, the uh, other thing is, is that it's a mystical country, the country of Peru is uh, centuries old. It's a fascinating country, great beauty, there's centuries old cultures, and um, of course they have that mighty Amazon River, and the primeval forest, and the people who live in harmony with the earth. So all these things kind of just fit together, and our fiction adventure took place. So I checked it out with the family and they said, oh, that would be great. So that's how we, how we chose Equitos, Peru. Now Equitos, Peru doesn't have any roads. They do everything by airplane and by ship. So there had to be an, in, um, some sort of a connection to, for, um, the dad, Brad, to meet with the company there to get the wood, to find a way to get it to the United States.
1: Peter and Andy, tell us about them. What, what are they like?
2: Well, Peter is a tall, kind of gangly, kind of blonde-haired boy. He uh, likes to play soccer. He's sports-minded. He's a Boy Scout. Um, he came up the ranks through the Cub Scout and the Boy Scout. He likes fishing. And his younger brother, Andy, who is two years, about a year and a half, two years younger than him, is a bookish type. He reads and he does more with um, encyclopedias and that where Peter likes to go on the Internet and do research. So along with um, their dad, they they um, decided that this would just be a real adventure for them, and it turned into even more because as they were on their second time to fill gas, um, they were taken hostage by the drug cartel. They were uh, kidnapped and held. They had... Um, tape put over their feet and their mouths and, and um, but the boys had a special uh, insight and they were able to get them freed but the cartel didn't like losing so they followed them and in turn sabotaged the plane which caused them to crash in the Amazon in the, forest, in the rainforest and that's where Lost in the Amazon became the title
1: and their dad is injured
2: Yes, their dad is comatose, and the pilot, they felt the pilot had been killed. And so they um, went ahead with uh, making a raft. They used all that Manny had told them on the way down to his home, and he kept telling the stories about the river, about the Amazon and the forest and how the people had lived all these centuries, some of their... Um, Techniques, and so they were able to take some um, parts out of the airplane and cut some wood, and they built a raft. And they uh, actually went out on the raft and went down the river to look for help with their dad. And uh, they were very frightened. But um, there's kind of a little a side story to this um, because our family has all been involved in amateur radio, so we're very. Cognizant of getting our story about amateur radio out, and the pilot Manny was also on the on the air. He had a radio right in his airplane, so they were able to call on there, not knowing anybody had heard them. But their message got out. It was all heard all over, and it spread all over the internet and the the radio. People knew that there were these two young boys with their comatose dad in the middle of the forest. And so it was really um, kind of um, wonderful that they, people knew where they were. But on top of that, also, the bandits knew then. They heard, too. So they came in pursuit because they didn't want anybody to uh, be able to survive after they got, a, um, got away from them at that airport.
1: So there's a very strong theme of good versus evil with good winning out.
2: Absolutely. I tell you, these two young boys, how they um, worked together, um, they were able to take all of the information that the pilot had told them. And I think in the end, um, I'd like the readers to know that viewed through the lens of an a native South American pilot, these two young boys offer a new perspective on how the Amazon River and the ecosystem works. Um, a lot about the history of the rainforest and the survival because it isn't easy. Uh, there were many, many people who came up from the eastern seacoast uh, uh, through the Amazon and, and never made it. So it's um, it is really very exciting and suspenseful that these two young boys were able to uh, build this raft and survive on the river and find a place. Um, they found a, a village of natives and they had a shaman there or shaman, whichever way you like to pronounce it. And um, he helped get their dad healed. And in the end, they found out that Manny, the pilot, was from this original native. He had survived the crash. He was uh, kind of got a powder up into his into his um, uh, nasal cavity, and it, it put him into kind of like a hibernation state. So after um, the boys um, left and went on the raft and went down the river, these bandits came back, and and um, but Manny was covered up and was hiding and. He was able then to call his help for help to come and get him through the amateur radio. So it's got a lot of twists and turns, and they were very thrilled when they found out that Manny was alive and that their dad was um, going to be okay too.
1: And on top of all this excitement and adventure and intrigue, there's the the pet monkey Zoe. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yes. I mean, how many books can you read that somebody's got a little pet monkey called Zoe? And um, Zoe um, lives in the house with Manny. He has a compound because there's uh, many of the birds and the animals are getting extinct because of deforestation. So he houses them, and when he isn't home, he has, he has helpers there with him. And many scientists and environmentalists come to his place. Of course, you know, this is all my imagination talking here. But um, they come and they do studies with the birds and the animals, like the scarlet macaw, um, the um, panther, the black panther. and There's many uh, different animals that are, are nearly gone. And so these, um, he, he has this favorite little monkey, though, he took into his home. And he's just a cutie. And um, we had help drawing him. So we have a picture of him in our book. We just loved him. So, how many books can you read where you have a pet monkey in your house, and you also have an um, airplane that has a Spanish name that means princess, and um, that you get to meet a pilot like Manny? Of course, I'm the pilot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's told from the pilot's point of view.
2: Yes, yes, all that. It, it was it was really fun to write um, because. I could um, talk about uh, the Sargasso Sea. I don't know if many people have heard of the Sargasso Sea, but it's a region off of the southeastern coast of the United States, and it's a huge, big um, gathering of, like, seaweed, and um, it actually is a weed. and so I I hadn't really heard about that in doing all my reading. My husband was in the submarine service, and their submarine, the captain stopped it to to see. They took out the big fish hooks, and they they just pulled up big strings of seaweed uh, filled with all kinds of life. So you all can learn about the Sargasso Sea and the difference in the Atlantic, the Pacific Ocean. Um, learn about um, the Panama Canal and a whole lot about the forest. And um, I hope that our book uh, will uh, op- give you an opportunity to to appreciate what that forest means to the world and uh, the people who live there yet today and are struggling to keep it going. But it's an it's an intergenerational book, and um, they built a bridge be- of trust on them. And uh, I just believe that um, someday that this will the drug cartel will also um, not have the power that they do over people.
1: Well, it has excitement, it's inspirational, it's educational, and it's a sequel to your first novel. I guess this was Peter and Andy, uh, Six Days Inside a Mountain?
2: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's <laughs> the one that I started writing at the, my son's kitchen table. And that's about the two boys, too. It's about survival Um, Peter was a little arrogant, and um, but they got um, lost up in the mountains and went into the cave in order to look for food and water. And uh, He used a lot of his Boy Scout techniques to get them there, and then they remembered some things that Andy had read too. But um, they depended on each other. But underneath all of it, Peter kind of felt like, his dad would have lost the trust in him. So he carried this with him uh, through that book and into this one. And when they got saved their dad from the, from the forest and, and got him to where the Indians could cure him, um, he felt exonerated. So actually, uh, there was quite a few lessons that came out of that. And uh, Peter then was, felt that his dad would trust him again.
1: And the characters just demanded to, for you to continue the story.
2: Yes, it's okay. So now, my <laughs> granddaughter, two of them, who said, Okay, Grandma, now you've written now. two books with them. Now we now. want a book with us. So ah. uh, we are working on our sequel to this. Because, see, these two boys got a gift. And when you read the books, you'll find out what all that's about. And it's carried over into the third one because, Their special insights, they've used first to save themselves from the mountain and second to save their dad from the jungle. And third, now they're going to have to save somebody, some humanity. So, um, yes, we are. We've got uh, probably about a third of the new book ready. And that one will be in China. So we are really doing a lot of research and uh, trying to find an interesting An intriguing story, so watch for that one.
1: I'm sure it will be good, just like Lost in the Amazon, and the other one uh, was Six Days in a Cave, was that it?
2: Six six Days Inside a Mountain.
1: Inside a Mountain. Well, thank you so much, Luann, for being with us on Ex Libris On Air. Tell us how to get your book.
2: Well, there's several different ways you can do that. Um, first of all, um, that you you can use the Ex Libris site, uh which you can go online at www.exlibris and that is spelled dot s.com or I'm on amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com or um, actually um any, any uh, I'm on 29 wholesale houses so if you look it up on the internet you'll find it and I'm just starting my webpage so I haven't got a website yet but that, that will be done at the end of this month so I appreciate all the audience out there and um, the books will be here long after me but I hope that people will be reading these adventures for, for a long time
1: well thank you Luann thank you again for this great story
2: thank you
0: Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix.
3: Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4 3 central on toginet.com
0: Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, When Destiny Calls, and the author is Pastor G.I. Tuff, and Pastor Tuff joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Pastor Tuff. Hi,
4: Steve. Glad to talk to you about Great my book. to wonderful have you book.
1: with us, yes, about your memoirs, and We're going to learn about your journey through life, and it looks like your great desire is to uh, just kind of inspire others and encourage anyone that no matter what obstacle you may face, you can can, uh, overcome. I mean, that's kind of the bottom line to to your life, isn't it, and to your book? Yes.
4: Yes, it is. Yes, it is.
1: Well, let's kind of go back to the uh, first... uh, remembrances as a as a little girl of what were some of those things that you were how you were raised and and what you were experiencing that led to your calling
4: well when um it's in my book that when I was about um somewhere between about eight years old somewhere around there, I had an experience and um I really didn't talk about it too much but It was very real to me how I was in um, a situation. Well, I was in the hospital because uh, I had a reaction to uh, a dental procedure that I had received earlier that day, and it caused my face to swell. And they really didn't know, didn't make the connection right away, so they put me in what I saw as isolation. And when they put me in isolation, um, they put um, like a glass, Back then, they put a glass up, and hardly anybody can come in to see you. And in that instance, I was, uh, like I say, a little girl, and all of a sudden, this lady uh, showed up by my bed. And she, as I say in my book, she looked back at that time like a hippie. You know, she had long, blonde hair, and she had jeans on, and she just sat there. And she began to talk to me. And, you know, um, and by her talking to me, it was so soothing and so calming because I was a child. I was afraid of, you know, uh, being alone and those those times right. when my parents could be with me. And she sat there and she, at the moment she got ready to leave the room, she tied a red scarf around my bed. And she left me a box of scoffs that had many colors, uh, every color in the crayon box. And that didn't become real to me. After I had received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and began to read the Word, I realized that it was very supernatural all of the tying of the red cloth on my bed and, you know, the, the colors dealt with the coat of many colors that, uh, that Joseph's father had made for him because he was chosen. I began to put those things together. And from that, I realized that, hey, there's a serious call on my life. Because at that time, I realized that I had been encountered with an angel.
1: So... Don't ever, ever, I guess, uh, second-guess a visit or uh, be judgmental. You never know who you're going to uh, meet and who's going to be there to help you. Be
4: careful how you entertain strangers because you entertain (laughs) angels unaware. (laughs) Yes. Very well put.
1: Yes. So how, what came about the event or the time in your life when when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Uh, tell us how that occurred.
4: Well, I had um, gone through uh, quite a few uh, trials in my uh, teenage life, you know, the loss of my father, um, going right into that. I... Uh, you know, just got life going real quick. You know, as a teenager, I put in my book that I uh, delivered. I got pregnant when I was 16, and I delivered my son when I was 17. And I was basically just, I would say, too young emotionally, and uh, just my maturity wasn't there. So I had to grow up fast. And in my growing up fast, I had, I got married. You know, eventually. Had children eventually, and things were going pretty well uh you know although we were young it was it, it was you know a good ride and the The trouble came is when uh my husband at the time and uh, the father of my children, he became uh, addicted to drugs, and because of the addiction to the drugs, it tore the family apart. All of our dreams, all of our, you know, um, visions for the future was just disrupted. And uh, as he went to drugs, I went to Christ. And that drove us, you know, to do two different worlds. And when I had nothing else to hold on to or nobody else to call on, I called on the Lord Jesus Christ and that's what got me through, and it just got me to a place where I just, you know, um, grew. I grew in my faith. I I became stronger. I raised my children. I I became a better person.
1: Well, you talk about you talk about this uh, roller coaster ride. Uh, mm-hmm. I think most of us can identify with that because life mm-hmm. often can just seem. Literally, sometimes out of control, and you know, a thrill yeah. one moment, and then scared the next. Of, I yeah, mean,
4: absolutely. That all—that was—that
1: was. Know,
4: that I, was uh, I I I say it a roller coaster ride, and in my book, I have a um, chapter in there called "The Eye of the Storm," because after I've, I I go through a trial, it's like I come out good, and then something else would happen, and so the something else was after, our, you know. God just basically delivered me out of that situation, I did end up, you know, um, you know, in a better situation. But as that situation progressed and I thought, like, you know, this is over, you know, the trial is over, I call it the hour of the storm because the storm looks like it's going to pass over, you know, uh, living in Miami. I know what it looks like when the storm comes, the, the clouds, uh, I mean, the, the sun will come up and the rain stops but you were going to get the other half of it. And that's why I call it the, I was in the eye of the storm, because just when I thought everything was getting ready to brighten up and be better, I got the second half. And that right there, that's the part of the book that they call the roller coaster uh, ride, because, you know, uh, ultimately through all of those disappointments and pains and shames and tears and, I got to a good place in my life.
1: Well, your book is filled with stories about the power of faith and perseverance. Mm-hmm. Uh, perseverance, yes. that is such a critical principle of life, isn't it?
4: Yes, yes it is. Yes it is. And and most uh, uh, I oftentimes say to myself, you know, what really made me keep moving? You know, I knew it, you know, as the scripture says, it had to be the power of God to keep me moving, to keep me, you know, steadfast, to keep me with joy in the midst of my trials, you know. And that's what that's what the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ does. It keeps you above the storm.
1: What difference has Bishop Freddie L. Tuff Senior made in your life?
4: Wow. Well, there's a uh, chapter, uh, in my book called uh, Easy to Love, and it's also a little chapter in there called a Time for Love, he just made life wonderful for me. He, he's basically what I call um, God's plan and will for my life. He, you know, he undergirds me. He's the wing beneath my wings. He, he believes in me, pushed me. He promotes me. I believe he's everything that I would ever uh, want in a husband and everything I thought I should have had in a husband. And I thank God for him.
1: Then when along the way did you just feel, and obviously he must have felt too, that it was time for you, first of all, to become an evangelist?
4: Well, yeah, I was... um, actually very active uh in my walk with God when he met me because actually we met in the church we were you know in the uh, for a short time in the same organization and that's basically where we met and when he met me I was pretty much uh, uh seasoned for ministry but once he became a part of my life he be begin to see deeper into the call in my life and begin to address it and begin to, you know, expound on it and cause me to come forward. And that's when, you know, uh we came together in ministry which he had already um established and I just came on board and I got with the vision and from there we have we have done wonderful things.
1: Tell us about uh this uh, this GI Tough Ministries that, that you work with your husband?
4: Well, the GI Tough Ministry is a ministry of uh, outreach. You know, I just kind of on my own, um, you know, reach out to, to uh, the needs of others on a personal level right now. That's the way it is. And I'm just looking to, um, you know, further ignite that, that vision so I can reach more people and meet their needs.
1: And that's the critical nature of your ministry, is you're meeting people where they're at.
4: Exactly, because when I was going through, I, I just always put myself in a place of when when it was me, how did I feel? And and that, that's basically how I deal with God's people. I have a passion for hurting people, or people who can't find their way, you know, or feel as though they're going through something because of something that they did or they didn't do. You know, and, and it's not always the case. It it is usually has to do with God um plan for your life. I, I took my word uh when destiny calls out of the word predestination and uh you know predestination uh, deals with a predetermined course of events in your life, in where God has already ordained your outcome, and what it is is that God God points you to the path, and it's up to you to take the path. The Bible says in Jeremiah, "Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you, and before you were even before you even came out of your mother's womb, I sanctified you." So I believe that every person has a a God designed plan for their lives but sometimes they are not they're not aware of it and they find themselves you know uh just stuck on side of the road and i'm like the one that comes along says hey you can make it let's go let's get charged up and that's what god you know that's the ministry that god has given me
1: and you looks like advocate you have to invest into the kingdom of god you make got to make an investment
4: hmm hmm yes, absolutely. Um, I, you know, from the, it's in my book, from the very beginning, I, uh, back in, before I got to where I am, I, I invested in lives, I, what women in my home, I, when they didn't have anything, you know, I, I nurtured them, I, I fed them, you know, I did those things, and, and that was out of my, my pure love and, you know for God and then as i begin to um grow uh a little bit more financially i find that my giving into the kingdom really brought me to a better place financially because you know uh i just tied into the fact that tithing was important for the success of my life and for my children's life and so i i i i read about it i was taught you know, the importance of tithing, and then I begin to tithe. And then I begin to, you know, give my sacrificial offerings. And I believe that was an important part of my growth and, you know, the change in my life. So that is one of the, um, you know, important aspects of, you know, the kingdom. It says, you know, honor the Lord with your substance, and your bonds shall be filled with plenty.
1: Well, we've had the privilege and honor to listen to Pastor Gina Tuff, her book, When Destiny Calls. Pastor Tuff, tell us how to get your book.
4: Well, you can get my book. You can go to either exlibrius.com uh, dot com or you can get it personally from me. Uh you can call me at area code three zero five uh Six ten twenty ten. 610 2010 Again, 305-610-2010. I also have a uh, website, uh, toughdestiny.com, where you can contact me through um, either the guest book or contact the author, and we can make arrangements to get the book to you.
1: Thank you so much, Pastor, for being with us on Ex Libris On Air. Thank you,
5: Steve.
0: Ex Libris returns after these short messages.
3: Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu, Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown, and after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there we can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu, Wednesday nights at 10, 9 Central, on DougieNet.com.
0: Welcome back to Ex Libris
1: with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Welcoming Oneness, and the author and poet, Karina Del Uno joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello,
5: Karina. Hello, Steve. It's so nice to talk to you today.
1: Great to have you with us. Uh, You're going to help us, uh, I guess, just understand life and the world around us, uh, Mother Nature, peace and tranquility. Uh, You really want to help us turn inward to our inner self or God for for answers and appreciate uh, Mother Nature and through your poetry to realize the unity or oneness, as you put it, welcoming oneness is the title of your book. So realizing the unity or oneness of it all. Well, before That's we get true. into here, some of your poetry, Karina, tell us about yourself, your background, and what brought about this great book of poetry
5: well um i was born into an agnostic family and um so i had no idea of any sort of religious training or god and so i came with a sort of clean slate uh until i was around 24 when my mother died at that time i was going in uh, going to universities i had 12 years of university training and um when my mother died, I wanted to find out why. And so I went to the Rosicrucian Order, and I was brought there by the chief meteorologist under Oppenheimer who was um, for the Abram Project, and he took me there and introduced me to his girlfriend, Elma, and she was a channel for poetry, and she channeled in couplets. I'd never seen anything like that. And so when that happened, I decided I've got to get to know this lady, and I've got to learn how to do this as well. Well, you don't really learn how to write poetry. It comes from the heart, and um, so you have to be inspired from the heart. And then after it comes, at that point, you work with it with your mind, and, and you make it into a, a Perfection. Well, um, in so doing, I learned how to write poetry, but it all came after a certain challenge. And if I had a challenge and I succeeded in walking through the challenge, I would get my reward, which would be a poem describing what I had learned. And so these that's how these poems came. Now, oneness is something else. Oneness... Again, comes through the heart and it it you have to have the mind you have to have enlightened love in order to receive oneness because love can go off on a separate tangent as well as mind so you need the balance there so you can think of yourself as being in the center of a large sphere and as you as you take these challenges and you walk through them that sphere expands and that's your your periphery of consciousness you might say so you have to take in the whole oneness that is in that sphere and it moves out and moves out and moves out until you start touching on the the, the oneness that is maybe mastery and that's also you can think about god as being the oneness too because God, way back in pre-Lemurian times, I'm sure you've heard of Atlantis, he was called the Great One Denominator, G-O-D. And as you know, a denominator is something that's in everything. So he's the Great One Denominator, or God. And so from that time on, we were thinking about God as being God, but we never knew that it was the oneness. All right, then, um, well, I, I don't want to get too far into this, but we had a period of time when man was the top energy and the mind was the top energy, so he became he. And so we still use that today, but right now the mother energy is coming in. And that mother energy, again, is the heart energy, which is the vastness of the oneness whereas the mind, it is like the shaft that goes up to the crown. But I think I've told you enough about that. Would you like to hear one of my
1: poems? (laughs) I would love to, and I'm sure everyone would love to. And you say your poems are instructional, gently instructional. So give us an example.
5: Well, um, we were just talking about mind and heart. So I'm going to give you a small one here. I call it The Grand Ascension. And I say, mind speaks like the light of a star shining from afar. The higher plane calls to me, distant though it may be. I will refine and set myself free. I will ascend. Then the heart speaks with loving acceptance of a mother for her own. I open to all in God's earthly home. Then one with love supreme, we become an infallible team, fulfilling an eternal dream as we ascend together. So that tells you a little bit about mind and heart. Now here's another one that might be like um, the same type of thing. It's welcoming oneness, and it's also um, part of my book, In the Heart of Forever. This is called A Woman and a Man Togetherness Bound. The woman, and whether thou wouldst go, there I would be, heart of my heart, soul of my soul. I know thou will lead us through the realms of mind, far and wide, to the heights and to the depths, and ever will I be the ballast or seas of time and consciousness, centering in the loving oneness of, that will unite all that we have seen and all that we have been with its eternal light unto the periphery of our journey. Then the man speaks, And the farther out thou thou allowest thyself to be taken, O woman, into states of smallness and forgetfulness for my sake, that I may see and know with my mind the more I adore you and hold you in reverence. For without you, my heart of hearts, would I be lost in a world of countless mirages, all of my making. Yet, coming as you do, with your will fully given unto higher, you free my will by impregnating its center with thine own divine will. And thy work is as the Christ on every level, bringing me into oneness, and thou transformest me into a builder, for my judgment now has its center in God, whose essence and seed is love, and we are one. Those are two poems that might give you an idea of oneness.
1: Yes, yes, a very peaceful, very, uh, like you say, instructional. Um, so where does karma or the law of cause and effect fit into your philosophy?
5: Well, I, I believe that karma is, um, as you know, cause and effect. It's made by us. What happens is that, um, this is my belief again, we chart our course from the other side, from the deeper part of ourselves that never dies. And we chart our course down here in the school room, and there are maybe two or three large things that we are planning to accomplish and um, while we're walking this course, sometimes we get diverted, um, and so we go off on a sidetrack. And uh, we, you can't say we make a wrong decision, because every decision we make is a learning experience that will help us know deeper um, some of the truths of the beneficent life. And so, therefore, there is no bad karma. But there's a learning of karma. And a lot of it brings us these challenges. And so I don't believe that, again, karma is bad. It's just learning. And um, the more you understand things, the more you realize that everything is positive and beneficent. And in eternity, what does it matter? If you spend three or four, or I had to spend 15 years working through uh, a misjudgment that I had a long time ago that made me go into bankruptcy, so I learned a great deal, and now I'm free, and i can I can walk my course with better sight, and I'll never do some of those other things that I did before when I was young so anyway that's that's what I believe about karma. I don't mm-hmm. believe in in true destiny um unless you can get absolutely centered within. The will of who you, your inner being, who you really are. Does that explain what I'm trying to say?
1: Yes, we must know who we are to really fulfill our destiny here upon the earth. Uh, we're here for good reasons.
5: and So, uh, why don't you give us another poem? All right. Um, all of my poems came because of some event or some challenge. Now, just to be a little bit different here, um, I'm going to write and read to you a tribute to a wonderful dog. This was written after one of my favorite dogs um, died, and I saw her die. Anyway, it starts. A heart that's open, trusting, and true. Eyes that are soft and just meant for you. Always there and hoping to please. No, my friend, don't get down on your knees. Just remember me, gentle and sensitive, considerate too, but strong and protected, if trouble pr- strong and protective, if trouble ensues, an unfailing companion who puts you at ease and offers true love, devoid of degrees, know me, even though I go to a more gentle space, I will be with you in an ongoing embrace. And those traits of mine, which you hold dear, will be stronger within you because I am near. Trust me. For though your eyes no longer see me on the outside, your love will always know where to find me on the inside. And now we can begin to walk together heart to heart unconditionally. That's dog's name. Very nice. Right, very I nice. Had I had a little cat that I loved dearly and I went away on vacation and when I came back she wasn't here and I kept calling for her and I'd go out on the deck and call for her. After two days of doing that when she didn't show up, all of a sudden I saw her little psychic body race through the house and she was trying to say here I am and um, I believe truly after having dogs and cats that they have a very close emotional bond, not only with us but with their inside self. They don't, they don't get into the little karmic warps that we get into, and so they can attune themselves so quickly and easily. And um, many people I know who have had pets have had visitations from them afterwards. And speaking of that, I have another poem I'd love to read to you. It's uh, about a friend who was like my sister for 25 years, and this was written a few days after she died. It's called, I Shall Never Leave You. I shall never leave you. These are but forms of God. I can be in any one of them. I can be in all of them. That which you love in me cannot die. I shall never leave you. In the midst of me breathes thy presence in the air and all about, thee, all about me, and that which I have missed of thee is ever present in my heart. No more must I seek thee longingly, weaving in and out of clouds of fear, for that which is real within us is never apart and ever near. No more will possession haunt me, trying to grasp with reaching arms that which shines throughout all space, Yet lies beyond all time. For in the midst of me breathes thy presence, in gentle spheres giving birth to life, and that which I do love of thee is ever present and in my heart. That was after. Very the well you like that
1: very, Right, very well said, very well and very touching, and you could feel the sincerity of you and your heart for your friend. Well, we've reached that point in our discussion, Karina, uh, where we need to find out how to get your book, Welcoming Oneness. Karina Del Uno, the poet.
5: Well, sir, actually I have two books. One is Welcoming Oneness, and the other is In the Heart of Forever, and I've chosen poems from each one of them. In the Heart of the Forever says, I do not need to be with you in time. For we have touched a drop of eternity together and are one in the heart of forever. Now, you can get both of these books on Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Um, My website is www.welcomingoneness.com. My name, as you know, is Karina DeLuno, and um, my email address is Karina, C-A-R-E-N-A, at Q, like IQ, they forgot the I, but that's all right. Q.com, that's Karina at Q.com. Um, each one of these books um, are retailed at $20. However, uh, Amazon sells them at 15 something and, and 16 I think it is. I don't know what Barnes & Noble sells them for, but naturally I'm not going to sell them for any higher than they do. And I guess that's, that's how you can get them.
1: Well, thank you, Karina, for being with us on Ex Libris
5: On Air. Well, thank you very much, sir. God bless you.
0: Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors right here on Ex Libris On Air.